0: Welcome, everyone, to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. On today's episode, I'm going to do something different. Actually, it's something that was an original concept that I had for the Take It Home Podcast. Gary Gonzalez and I were going back and forth on what kind of show I I should do. And he mentioned that, um, you know, maybe you should do some, like, matches that you see and um, that you you're always watching wrestling matches, old school matches. Talk about those. So I'm gonna do that on this show. I'm gonna call it, it's a hidden gem show. These matches I'm gonna talk about. These two matches I'm gonna talk about aren't ones that people normally talk about a lot. You know, they're not in anyone's top ten. They're just matches that grabbed me as a viewer, that stuck with me, and the, from the performances involved, the stories they told. Um, I just, I just, you know, want to share that with you. And I, I I hope, you know, you as wrestling fans want to discover these matches and take a look. And they're older matches, ones from mid-90s, ones from, uh, 1980. Uh, so, but... They're really good wrestling matches. And as you know, me, i I'm all about talking about really good wrestling. Um, and when something's not good, I get frustrated. And and, uh, and lately, honestly, like a lot of these indies I've been watching and covering fully taken on podcast, like a lot of this just like makes my head hurt because it's just there would be some really good stuff and there would be some stuff that just drives me insane. So I think I'm going to do going forward is like do three weeks of covering modern wrestling and then one week of the month i'm gonna go look at something old school and just kind of you know just kind of keep my sanity because a lot of this indies like like i said a match here and there on these shows are are good to even really good but a lot of it's just a bunch of bs and and it just gets really frustrating to watch for me so so i'm like you know what? I need to cleanse. I need to just stop watching wrestling for a little bit. I'm gonna just watch other shit, catch up on my shows, and just and just just take a break from wrestling. And so then I was like, you know, I'm gonna start watching something that I like. And I started thinking about like, man, just some some matches that I really enjoy. And and I was thought about these two matches, and I'm really excited about talking about these matches and. I one match, you have to have a New Japan World subscription. So, um, if you have that, I'll, I'll I'll talk about how you can find it, and it's easy to find on the New Japan World site. And other matches on YouTube, which is which everyone can watch. So, so I'm gonna get into the first match, and that match is gonna be from New Japan World. It took place on February 4th, 1995. is a tag team match. Between uh, one of my all-time favorite tag teams, the Steiner Brothers, versus Scott Norton and Mike Enos. And, again, totally, total random match, right? Now, when I got New Japan World, I was really excited for the the, the classic content. And what I love about Japanese wrestling when I was following it through the magazines before I was able to get tapes and stuff, I would see like these random matchups, random tag team matches or singles matches. And I always wanted to see them. So I was like, I, you know, I just kept looking at what was available on new Japan world. And one of my favorite wrestlers in Japan is Scott Norton. And I've talked about Scott Norton many times. Um, I wrote an article for the fight game media Website about Scott Norton as one of the best big men in wrestling history. Um, you know guys like Big Van Vader, Bam Bam Bigelow, Bruiser Brody, Steve Williams, Terry Gordy. Like all those guys, always get the pub when it comes to like really good working big man. And Scott Norton needs to be on that list. And I've it's and I guess I just kind of like you know, Scott Norton is one of those guys for me that I saw from the beginning. You know, I was like I said, I watched everything growing up from, you know, <laughs> to, of course WWF and the NWA or slash WW. I watched USWA before that was world class. Anything that took place in a ring, I watched, and I watched the AWA, even the Dying Days baby AWA. When I was a kid, I didn't know it was Dying Days. I just thought I just thought it was just the AWA. Hey, little did I know, I was like, it's only like one year left till was gonna be gone. But during that year, uh, Scott Flash Dorton debuted and he was pudgier then, uh, peroxide, blonde hair, uh, long tights, the big lightning bolt on one side because he's from the arm wrestling world. He was an arm wrestling champion and he beat people quickly. That's why they call him the Flash. He would, you know, beat them in a the flash. So and he was green as grass, obviously very limited. And but I was like cool, you know, like, who's this guy? And then AWA folded. Then I started seeing him show up in, um, uh, was a Portland Wrestling? And then I saw him show up in on the New Japan results when I was reading the back of the page on the result side of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines. And one day they showed a picture of him in Japan. And it was a totally different guy than when I remember when I first saw him in the in the, uh, in the AWA. He was, you know, more cut. He's still big and massive, but he, like, his chest, You can see his, his cut shoulders, arms. He had his beard, longer hair. It wasn't peroxide blonde anymore. He just looked like a killer. So, I was just, like, fascinated by Scott Norton, like, in Japan. I wanted to see his stuff. So, it took me a while to get footage of him. And, you know, I first saw him, not in Japan, but... In WSW after that, like he showed up in 1993 for like a few weeks, and either building up a match between him and Sting and Slam that didn't happen. I forget was the reason why. Uh, probably some kind of you know probably Scott Norton didn't want to lose because he's like you know it was like you know a top guyji at the time in New Japan and and uh, I don't know or unless he was hurt and he couldn't make it, but Sting ended up wrestling the the Kevin Kelly, formerly known as Nails in the WWF. He came out as Nails, but just they called him the convict, and that you know, and Sting beat the convict in a in a really bad match on Slambury nineteen ninety three. So I remember being so bummed because I really wanted to see Sting versus Norton, and and that didn't happen. Then I didn't, and then I next time I saw Norton, I started seeing Norton in ninety four footage, like not footage, but pictures of him on the magazines, and it was him and Hercules Hernandez as the Jurassic powers and what a picture these two jacked up dudes next to each other they just looked like they're gonna rip anyone's head off i miss tag teams that look like that you know we got a bunch of smaller tag teams that can move around and they're exciting but like where are those badass power power monster tag teams right and jurassic powers were great and they were a really good tag team and so i couldn't wait to get footage of those guys you know and then the next time I saw Scott Norton, shows up at WCW on uh, an early Nitro. I think the second Nitro, the first Nitro, and gets in a confrontation with Randy Savage. On the next Nitro, the second Nitro, they have a match. And then, like, Scott Norton loses. I'm like, man, what the hell, right? He loses to Randy Savage on the first night. They give him out with, like, the shark landed on Norton, and Norton couldn't get up. And then Savage his flying elbow, but it's just a cheesy finish. But, you know... I always was a fan of this guy. And then when I got started getting footage of him from Japan, just loved his work. And he, just to get credit for like, you know, look back his time in WCW. He had two of the best matches with a very green, the giant and the very green Goldberg. And, you know, they're short matches. Cause they obviously didn't need to be the long matches, but he really, you know, put them over strong and had a good solid matches to them. So, and mike enos is another guy i really like from the awa as well destruction crew loved this tag team um wayne balloon was the personality he was the promo mike enos was the worker and their interviews were great because lee marshall or eric bischoff in aw at the time would interview the destruction crew and they go to mike enos first but Wayne Blue would always cut off Mike Enos. And go, Don't worry, Mike, I got this. And he'd cut the promo, right? I always thought that was really cool. And then they showed up in like WCW in February of 1990 when Arn was hurt and they needed someone to play. So there, you, there, there was only answer. brought these two guys, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew Tag Team 2. And they were like, you know, it's just Wayne Blue and Mike Enos under mask. And I was like, Dudes, I'm glad they're here, and then they're gone. They were gone. They were just on loan from Vern Gagne in the AWA, and like after that, they went to the WWF. And I don't blame them because you know it's making a lot more money than they were in AWA. Obviously, they're probably very, very much starving in the AWA at the time. But um, Mike Enos always liked his work. You know, he wasn't a promo guy, but he's just a good, solid worker. So as I'm scanning New Japan World, I type in Scott Norton. Right, and there's a bunch of matches on there. And I'm just like, I want to look at just something just unique. And sure enough, there was the Steiner Brothers with Scott Norton and Mike Enos as a tag team. I was like, I got to watch this match. This is going to be fun. I wasn't expecting like to be blown away or anything. I wasn't, I just thought it's going to be a fun match. And what I got was a hell of a story told, a hell of a match told. And again, this match took place on February 4th, 1995. It was uh part of the Fighting Spirit nineteen ninety five tour. And the match is instantly starts, you know, off. It's the Steiners versus Norton and Enos. The referee checks Norton's arm. Norton's wearing he' just wearing like an elbow pad on his uh on his left arm, right? And don't think nothing of it. Mike Enos starts out with Stein, Scott Steiner. They have some good amateur wrestling, good grappling, good stuff, really good stuff. Uh, Enos is holding his own. Steiner, you know, they, they each kind of took advantage. You know, one guy got the advantage. One guy's, you know, the next guy got the advantage. It's good, it's good wrestling. And then Scott Norton tags in. And now <laughs> he's done with the – he's not going to amateur wrestling He's just going to hit someone hard. And he just, just starts – she just chops Steiner, Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner just, you know, great, great bump off it. Crowd goes, ooh, right? And then Scott Norr picks up again, does a big, number, big shot, boom, ooh, again. Then he whips Scott, Scorn, Scott, ugh, Scott Steiner into the corner, excuse me, and hits a big running clothesline in the corner, boom. And then he whips Scott Steiner to the opposite corner. He charges, Scott Steiner moves, and Scott Norton hits his shoulder right in the right in the left arm right in that turnbuckle and he just goes down fast like holy what happened like he just he's a big guy He's just like like someone shot him from a sniper from afar right he just goes down and then Scott starts working on his left arm and then you know Norton pulls away like like he's injured right like something's going on And even Rick's registering on the outside, like, yeah, something's wrong with his arm there. So, Steiners are taking advantage of his arm. They pull off the elbow pad. You see on his left arm, Scott Norris' left arm, a big bruise. Like, he tore a bicep or a tricep. Um, And which, you know, one reason why I wanted to check this match out again was because the Cody Rhodes' performance with his torn pec, right? It wasn't as gruesome as, you know, Cody's, you know, one side of his body being almost all purple, but it was it was uh, just still visually looked bad for Scott Norton, and I'm sure it hurt like hell, and the Steiner brothers just start healing on it, start working on it, and and Norton's just, he's doing such a great job, man, he's just, I'm sure it's, a lot of it's real, and a lot of it's work, obviously, and they're just going on this arm. Working on it. Working on it. Double teaming it. Double teaming it. Norton rolls the outside. Mike Enos jumps down to check on his partner. People start coming out to check on Norton. Norton wants to get back in there. Norton wants to get back in there. And he does. He makes a tag to uh, to uh, Enos. Enos gets in there. But then he goes out to check his partner. And, and here comes Scorpio. To go Scorpio who's on tour with him. He comes out to check on Scott Norton. And I think Black Cat's out there checking on Scott Norton. A, a couple other young boys are checking on Scott Norton. And Mike Enos is checking on him. And they start taking Norton to the back. He can't go. So he said there's this long rampway that New Japan has. And he's in Norton and Black Cat, Scorpio, etc. are all taking him back. Now Mike Enos gets in there and he starts firing up. He starts And they start throwing like these wow blows. Like him and Scott Steyrins are throwing like wow. It, it didn't look pretty. But that's okay because like – you didn't want to look pretty there. It, just, it needed to look just wild, and it was. And Enos is a little a bit of a house fire, but then he gets cut off and gets you know Steiner just pick him up, with a suplex and boom, drop him, right? And then and then they keep working on Mike Enos, but Norton hasn't left yet. He collapses on the stage, and they're trying to work on his arm. They're taping up his arm. In the meantime, you know, Mike Enos is getting suplexed. All the Steiner's big moves, and he's kicking out, and the crowd is like 100% behind Mike Enos. They respect his fighting spirit. And just, 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 each time he kicks out, it comes a bigger reaction, and a bigger reaction. Finally, the Steiner's going to put him out. They hit this big old move, one of their big moves. And Scott Norton, at the time, sees this happening. They're setting up for their, one of their big finishers. He starts slowly making his way back, crawling his way back, getting there. Fans are starting to rumble. Steiner's hit their move. One, two, Norton just sprints and dives through ropes and breaks the count up. Now these, Now he's a bit of a house of fire. Boom, boom, he's wrestling on one arm, right? Boom, boom. Crowd's going crazy. And then they Scott Rick Steiner Rick Steiner picks up Scott overhead belly to belly suplex. Boom. Scott Steiner's like, you know, head over heels in a rope. You know, Mike Enos gets a gets a, a move. Boom. What? No. And then Scott Steiner gets him. Big suplex. Boom. Then they pick him up for the big, big double DT. Bam. One, two, three, and that's it. It was a dramatic match. I loved this match. I miss stories in wrestling matches, and this was a great story that they told with with, with the injury that Norton had, and they took the crowd for a roller coaster ride. And Mike Enos was very good. Like I say, he's a very underrated talent, a good hand, as they say. And I'm not saying as a back, as a as a you know being a negative compliment. It's it's he was. That's why he was in WSW for a very long time. You know, he's just there to have a good matches with people you know, and a pay-per-view versus Chris Benoit. He could hang and have a good match with Chris Benoit. Um, and what, like I said, what a match. I want to be, if you have New Japan World, go check it out. It's about 16 minutes long. Not going to take much of your time. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I really appreciate these guys for what they did and the story they put on. And it was kind of cool seeing like, you know, I know, you know, later on Scott turns heel and everything, but at that time, like, it's kind of cool to see, Heal Scott Steiner. I know he, he flirted with it in WW in 1992, but it was just pretty awesome to see him just, you know, be vicious on that arm. Rick was uh, too as well was being uh vicious on that arm. And, you know, really good story. Just, you know, two guys fighting against all odds and they didn't get the, they didn't get the win, but at the end of the day, like they, you know, they got over even though they lost. So check that out. New Japan world, uh it's easy just type in mike enos because he doesn't have that many matches on new japan world i think he has like three matches so if you do scott norton you're gonna get a couple pages of stuff but if you do mike enos just search mike enos it'll come up on the page quickly and then click on it it should be the first icon that shows up and check it out let me know what you think i'd love to hear your thoughts on it now before I get into the next match, I want to shout out our Patreon, Fight Game Media Plus, $5 a month. You get a lot of great content on there. We got yeah, uh, Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper show. Uh, on all things Japanese wrestling. Um, the historic stuff they do is just amazing. Brace for Impact with JD Leva and uh, Mike Gilbert. Uh, Scott's Chosi Wrestling. Great podcast. We got MMA. We got boxing. got all the stuff on there. We got my raw 1998 review with Gary Gonzalez. Um, we're heading into King of the Ring pay-per-view next week. So jump on that. You want to hear us talk about mankind flying off that cage. Uh, so yeah, finals a month. Give us a shot. It's a cup of coffee. Just, you know, trade in your cup of coffee. Just one time. Give us a shot. I think you're really going to enjoy the Fight Game Media Patreon. Now. Next match I want to talk about. I've been reading the autobiography of "Bat to the Bone Rotten Raw Star. Rotten Raw Star was uh, a territory guy, uh, started off in Georgia, kind of moved his way around, uh, you know, end up uh, going to Leo Burke's Oklahoma Territory, Louisiana Territory, uh, won the NWA Junior title for like four days. Um, Moved on to a couple of territories, Went back to Leo Burke with a big promise that he was going to be the NWA Junior champion for like two years plus $500 a week. And all that was worked out and things were going good in the territory. He's getting over. He won the title. And then all of a sudden his uh, his money started getting short. It wasn't $500 a week. Now it was $300 a week. And But he figured, you know, Leo would make good. And he didn't. And then all of a sudden – they want him to drop the title, of Les Thornton. He didn't do it. He ends up suing Leo Burke, and with within that, um, he the lawyer asks him about wrestling being predetermined, and he admits it. And so, people took that as he, you know, he's trying to take down the business. He wasn't trying to take down the business. He's trying to get what he's want, what he was rightly owed from Leo Burke. And of course, he got you know stuck in litigation forever. And his, you know, Leo Burke had money, but Ron Starr didn't. And the lawyer fees are going up, so he finally just said, "Screw it," and dropped it. And so that kind of blackballed him from the NWA. I think a lot of promoters were kind of sticking by their fellow NWA promoter. So you know, he did get he did go to other NWA territories like L.A. and uh, Hollywood, and then he also went to Georgia, but. Yeah, I think a lot of that stigmatism, like he was trying to expose the business, always kinda of followed him around. He didn't have a very long career to like I think he retired in like nineteen eighty one, worked in Puerto Rico for a very long time. And he's just a really good worker that's just forgotten about in history. Um he's a smooth worker, like a Brad Armstrong, just glide in the ring. He just he just, you know, from his from his book, what I like about his book is is very honest. You know, he isn't really, you know, put himself over too much he just talks about you know learning getting experience and and improving and and you know he just didn't talk about like he didn't embellish it didn't seem like to me even like his stuff that was really fascinating because he was a vietnam veteran he's talked about there's a couple chapters of him in, in 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 vietnam and some really riveting stuff and you know he didn't over embellish that like and yeah, no no crazy tales of you know him taking down like, you know, twenty of you know, the Vietnamese soldiers at one time or anything stupid like that. Like it was just just if it as I've seen many Vietnamese uh, Vietnam War documentaries, like it just felt like that. He's just recounting real true life experiences there. Um, and so I was you know, Rock Rims uh, wrote this book. He wrote the uh north northern california territory book uh when it was big time uh he wrote the uh the, the living auditorium book um another great book i love his books he, he's he wrote a book on roy shire a legendary promoter that i have not read yet i still need to finish the rotten wrong star book but i was always a you know a fan of rotten wrong star but i was, you know, also didn't get a, seat. a lot of work because the time I struggled in wrestling, he was starting to wind down. And I remember one of my first wrestling magazines, I was on vacation. This is like in 19, 1989. We're in Yosemite with my parents, and there's a gift shop. They had a bunch of magazines, and they had a wrestling magazine there. It wasn't Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It was like, I think it was Main mini event or something like that. It, it was like an all color magazine. So I, I wanted it. My parents bought it for me, thank goodness. Because I needed something on this trip to kind of, you know. Yosemite is beautiful, but I just need. And I was just so, like, engulfed in wrestling. I wanted to, like, I couldn't get enough of it. And I had this magazine. I kept looking at the whole trip back and forth. It has all these awesome pictures of Road Warriors staying. And one of the pictures they had, a big full picture, was Rotten Ron Star. And he had this championship belt, which which I believe was the Caribbean title. And, you know, back then, it's like the magazines were had a heavy influence on you, right? Like, and I saw Ron Star. and I see he's a champion. This guy must be great. And I remember my first time I saw him was like 1990 in USWA, and he's older, not older, but he still was pretty good. So I was always fascinated by Ron Star. Then I would go and watch his old matches on YouTube and stuff, and he was so smooth, so crisp in the ring. Um, And so I, I started watching his matches, and and in the book, you read about his, you know, he had tours in New Japan. And he was brought up there to be an opponent for Tatsumi Fujinami, who was a junior champion then. And they had a really good match in 78, uh, March 10th in 1978. That's on YouTube. It's a 10-minute match. Really good, quick. And you see how fast, like, Fujinami was. And also how fast Ron Starr is. And he's keeping up with Fujinami. And Fujinami does this one dive out that's just comes out like a missile. Like how Darby see Darby Allen today and just amazing stuff. And, and it finishes him off. Ron star off with a dragon suplex, but there's no pin. It's all like a knockout and Ron star sells like a knockout. Very unique finish. Now the match I want to talk about here is a rematch. It's uh Tatsumi Fujinami defending his title against Ron star. And this match goes like 18 minutes um, and what I really like is it's not one of those matches that's going to have a bunch of false finishes and the crowd's going to ape shit. They 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 go crazy, but it's not what what I meant, what I love about this match is just the the technique and the detail, the work. And you know when he lock on a hold, they really lock on a hold. It's tight; you can't see through it. Uh, uh, Ron is like he'd had this arm bar and you know he's cranking on it knee perfectly placed on fujinami's you know pocket of his between his neck and his shoulders and he just it just looks so so vicious and and the match is just technically just beautiful i mean chris and like ron star should be talked about as one of the best workers you know in the ring you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't seek a Ron Starr match out because he doesn't get talked about by the wrestling experts today. He's forgotten about, you know, and the people that do remember are all getting older. And and because he didn't work, WBF um, didn't work, well, WCW, or anything like that. Like, a lot of people don't even know him. And there's a lot of workers like that out there that were so good that people just, just you know, they had good careers, and, and no one talks about it. So I want to bring up Ron Starr here and put attention to this match with Tatsumi from, uh This one's from September 30th, 1980, and you can find this match on YouTube, and also the other match, too, as well, from 78. And I I really think you're going to enjoy it. I think, you're, you know, like I said, don't expect like I said, a bunch of false finish and everything. It's, it's not about that. It's It's the story they tell get to the finish, and the finish is is really well done, and and the execution is just just good and perfect. Um, the chemistry between these guys is just so much fun. It's so fluid at the same time. It looks like a struggle. Um, Ron Starr he has these really short knees that I don't think I've seen anyone do anymore. Like he'll almost like a Muay Thai knee in a way, but not as like, you kind of he gets the guy behind the the like an in-neck crank you know or a can opener position and kind of just, just throwing short little knees, uh, just execution on thing everything. I love his forearms, forms look they look more vicious than the forms we see today. Like a lot of, you know, there's no leg slapping going on here. It's just physicality and it's and it's sweet science. And the match is great because it starts off. Handshake, respect. But then Ron starts healing up a bit. Subtly. And I think a lot of young heels out there should took take note and watch this match. Just stuff that that was so you see all the time back in the day you just don't see it anymore. Like guy gets to the ropes, babyface gets to the ropes, and the heel just takes a quick cheap shot with a boot as the guy's in the ropes, you know, like just little details like that, you know. You hold on to the hold a little longer. I don't know. Like I know it's happens here and there, but it's just the little tricks are all gone. It seems like everyone wants to do big move after big move after big move. Um, it's just it's almost unbelievable now, right? So I hope you take a check this out. This is going to be a little shorter show. It's only two matches. I don't want to just go, t- I don't want to go too long with like each detail of the match because I want you to discover it and enjoy it. Um, especially this Ron Star and Tatsuya Vijayami match because I want you, to, I hope you just, just remember like the details that they're doing, the finer details. Um, and you'll get an enjoyment. Like a lot of people get, like, they get bored, like, oh randy orton's so boring he's just cl- clamps in a side headlock and it's and it's just so boring and it's like no man that guy works the hold like, he doesn't make a, a side headlock boring and ron star and fujinami don't make these holds boring and when they start going to the high spots it's so exciting because they built to it if there's one constant high spot bing 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 bing, bing it's just you know you've no time to breathe and absorb and take in what they're doing here that's why i miss about the style of the past where they would work to the bigger spots and the high spots that's why they're called high spots right you work to the highest the high spot then that's when the action picks up That's the high spot now a high spots when the bell rings to the ends and the guys kick out every finisher in the, in the world and it's just ugh so boring, you know. Like, I missed the roller coaster rides. But I could, it's that video game mentality of the day's wrestling fan. Uh, maybe that's what I'm guessing. That's what's going to sadly. But there's still great artists out there. I, I know I say artists, but they're great workers out there who still tell great stories. And a Timothy Thatcher of the world, um, Tanahashi. Okada, Jeff Cobb, you know, they want to tell stories. Evictus Cash, you know, friend of the show, Promise Thomas, Thomas Centel, wanna tell stories. Young kids like Ray Jazz coming up, wanna tell stories. Um, those are the guys we need to celebrate. The storytellers. And I appreciate all these, all these, both the Steiner brothers, Scott Norman Mike Enos, uh, Ron Starr, Tatsu Miyami for telling these stories, and and uh, really enjoyed their cra- watching their craft. So I hope you guys enjoy as well. So I hope you like this show. It's a little short version of the Take It On podcast. You know, sometimes I think it's you know it's okay to kind of have a short show and kind of quick hit. And I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys check these matches out and let me know what you think. Here we have a little Rocket JL. Uh, on Twitter. That's L-A-R-O-C-C-A-J-L on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. I'm really curious to see if you like these matches and what you think about them. Until next time, be safe, everyone. Take care.